The notion that we've been sanctioned by God to do with creation as we see fit is one of the most dangerous ideas we face today. It is often married with a view of God's omnipotence that suggests that no matter what we do, God will make it right. Neither of these ideas represents a good translation of the creation text, but together they represent a critical impediment to addressing the deadly effects of global climate change. The creation story holds for humanity a very different vocation in relation to the environment than the one we currently practice. Though we are part of creation, we are created in the image and likeness of God. While all creation bears the imprint of God's creative love, humanity is imbued with the essence of God and the attributes that enable us to reflect and embody the image of God. To live this with integrity, especially as it relates to the rest of creation, means that we would live in ways that are consistent with God's own creation story. This is the foundation of our vocation, a vocation that is woven into the creation story itself. We are to be stewards, caretakers of this incredible gift we call creation. We harness the creative power of God and the functionality of all creation to care for one another in the totality of the created order. Using the gifts that come with being created in the image and likeness of God, with God's help, we can reverse the effects of global warming and blunt the devastating consequences of climate change. However, it isn't the knowledge that prevents us from acting. It is that we lack the will to make the tough choices. As followers of the risen Christ, this is a spiritual decision for us. Because it is spiritual, God's grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit will continue to empower us to make the hard choices. This morning's Hebrew scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separate, separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and then there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that will bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, oh, sorry, 
And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird in the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from the work that he had done in creation. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer.
Amen. So I was thinking this week about some of my very earliest memories. We had a, a family business. Not your normal family business, but it actually was kind of a side hustle that my parents had. We raised and sold and then showed tropical fish. Betta fish, guppies, angelfish. Our whole garage was shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf with fish tanks. And we would go all over the Great Lakes region. I mean, to some of the garden spots, we would go to Toronto, and we would go to Milwaukee. We went to Kokomo, Indiana. We went all over the place showing these. And this was something, it wasn't just that my parents did, but my, my sister and I did as well. I remember having my own fish that I would show. I actually won trophies. The trophies, of course, are long gone. But this was my very first experience of caring for another part of God's creation. I had to make sure, it was my responsibility to make sure that, that my fish were fed, that their uh, tanks were clean, that my, my fish were healthy, that my, my fish were able to, to be shown. And that was a, a, a lesson at a very, very early age. And I didn't think about it in terms of how I would think about it today, but that was, that was an early reality for me, caring for another living thing. I would suspect that most of us, now maybe you didn't show tropical fish, but I would suspect that most of you from a very early age had an experience of caring for another part of God's creation. It could have been a pet. It could have been gardening. It could have been an herb garden or a vegetable garden or a flower garden. But I would suspect that most of us had some experience at a very, very early age, and maybe even continuing to today, caring for another part of God's creation. Now, unfortunately, we live in a time and in a place where it would seem, judging by the state of our planet, that not everybody learned those lessons, and some have probably forgotten those lessons, or maybe in their own mind feel like they outgrew those lessons. The degradation of our, of our creation um, is well documented. Uh, air pollution and water pollution, our streams and our, our, our lakes, um, toxic waste, runoff, industrial pollution, our, our land and the, the, the degradation of our soil, the, the deforestation around the planet, you know, the, basically the lungs of the planet, the ability to take carbon dioxide and turn it into oxygen is, are being diminished, burned down, which doubles the, the effect of uh, CO2 in, in the atmosphere uh, and our oceans the acidification of oceans, the loss of uh, coral reefs. I mean, we, the, it's very, very, very well documented uh, as to the effects of this. 
and we're paying a price for it. We see sea level rise, and unfortunately, many of the places where sea level rises is, is endangering um, uh, living space is happening in, in places in the world where the people who are going to be the first to suffer from it can least afford to experience the, the, um, the displacement that would come with rising sea levels. We think about the effects of climate change due to, to all of this, where storms are getting stronger, where heat is getting hotter and cold is getting colder. I mean, just even recently in the last few weeks to look at what happened in Texas, in deep, deep south Texas, down to the Rio Grande Valley, where people were seeing ice and snow that lasted for days that, that, that was virtually unprecedented. And then with that, you see how other parts of our infrastructure, water systems and electrical systems, crumbled under that kind of pressure. The effect of climate change is making all of these storms, all of these things that are naturally occurring, magnified. Hotter, colder, wetter, windier. Creation, as we see it, as what our ancestors tried to teach us and remind us, creation is a balanced system. There is within the the scope of creation functionality that sometimes we miss. There's an orderliness. The whole story that Joanna read out of Genesis is about what God is doing to bring order to creation, order to the world out of the, the chaos of whatever creation, whatever the world, whatever reality looked like before, out of that, that chaos, that unpredictability, there comes order. And with that order, every piece of it has a function. And then with every function, there brings balance to it. Our ancestors knew this very, very well. And again, we have forgotten this. Forgotten what our place is, what our role is, how we see ourselves. Friends, we are not detached from creation. The fact that the human community is unique within God's creation does not separate us from creation. We are, as this story reminds us, we are also created like the mountains, like the ocean, like the forests, like the deserts, we are also created and integrally a part of creation itself. And when we recognize that relationship, when we recognize that oneness that we have with creation, we are able to see something else that is an important component of this Genesis text. We realize that within creation, and especially within the human community, that we are created in the image 
and likeness of God. And that's probably something that, as we talk about creation care, that we, we often don't talk about. We, we'll talk about being um, created in the image of God uh, in other kinds of settings, but it is first lived out and realized in the creation story. And what it means to be created in the image of God is very, very specific in this text. Lots of conversations about what God looks like. In the images in, in art and in culture of God as this fatherly figure with the flowing robe and the white beard, that very, very uh, patriarchal image of, of God is actually kind of like reverse engineering where we're creating God in in, in our image, but then again in only part of our image. But to be made in the image of God goes back to this idea of imago dei, that we carry within us, we, are, we have created within us the very essence of God, the divine spark as it's been referred to in so many places. To be made in the image of God means that we carry God, the reality of God, the essence of God, potentially even the presence of God in our very being. And that the idea is that our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with the rest of creation becomes an opportunity for us to reflect that image. And then there's the idea of the likeness of God. And sometimes that people have talked about that as if it's kind of a poetic thing, you know, where it's just a different way of... of um, describing the same reality of being made in the image of God. But, but the ancients understood it a little bit differently. The idea of being made in the likeness of God, as well as the image of God, is not only do we carry the essence of God with us, the divine spark, but we carry the attributes, the likeness of God, the attributes. We carry also the ability to create and build and show compassion and love and reconcile and build and grow and learn all of these things together. And when we live out the likeness of God, when we make the choices that reflect the likeness of God, then we more effectively reflect the image of God. to use another scriptural uh, idea, this idea of glorifying God is not to sit in a sanctuary someplace and wave our hands and raise our hands. The idea of glorifying God that we see in scripture is about making God present, about reflecting the image and likeness of God in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve, in the way that we connect, in the way that we build, in the way that we grow you get the idea. We glorify, we make God present when we learn to live 
the image and likeness of God to reflect that. And if we are not truly caring for creation, because this is the vocation, we are created in the image and likeness of God, but our part of our vocation, our first vocation, was to manage and care for creation itself. If we don't care for creation, if we don't work to manage and, and live in this, this spiritual relationship with the rest of creation and with God, there's, there's no way that we can really effectively reflect the likeness and the image of God. We are created to be stewards of creation. That means each other, but it means the air, the water, the ocean, the land, the trees, the soil, all of it. And at this point, we need to reclaim two words that become kind of the, the axle on which industrialization has turned. The idea in Genesis that we are commanded to subdue and exercise dominion over creation. I think we have a sense culturally of what it means to subdue and exercise dominion. It's, it's about power. It's about control. But the ancients understood something different. The idea of, of subduing creation is, is really more akin to the idea of understanding creation, to see what's available. I mean, our first medicines came from the rest of the created order. When we needed vitamins and nutrients, we ate it in the plants and the animals and the fish and the birds. Now, if we need nutrients, we use chemistry and we make it an easy-to-swallow little pill. To subdue is to understand it. To harness the great power that exists in creation. And we think about this in terms of our energy. To ha harness the power of the sun. To harness the power of the wind and the waves. And then dominion. Dominion is not about domination. Dominion in its, in its most fundamental understanding in the, in, in the actual Hebrew word that gets translated as dominion is stewardship. To care for appropriately, purposefully, in the image and likeness of God, to care for all of creation. Friends, the idea of creation care is not a liberal agenda, it's not a progressive pipe dream, it's a spiritual responsibility that we all have. The foundational text of who we understand ourselves in relationship to God, creator and created, calls us to be stewards. Friends, I hope and I believe that our world can be 
renewed. Our environment can be renewed. Our lives can be renewed. The balance within creation can be renewed. Because we have this incredible gift from God that we can put people on the moon, that we can put stations in orbit, that we can plumb the depths of the oceans and climb the highest mountains, that we can that create these incredible cures for diseases that before had killed thousands of people. That we have the wherewithal to address the needs that would bring balance. That we can again reclaim deeper understandings and deeper expressions of living in the image and likeness of God. I believe that we can do that. But in order to do that, it means that we, as a human community, are going to need to make some really hard choices. Hard choices about how we live together. Hard choices about how we go from point A to point B. Hard choices about how we power the world in which we live. How we provide for food for other people. These are hard choices. There's no doubt about that. And you look at the wrangling around issues of climate change and climate deniers and the use of fossil fuels, the importance of clean water and clean air. They become political talking points when they really are, in essence, survival points. Friends, these hard choices are important for us to wrestle with and talk about together and understand together. Friends, truly, the future, the future of our our lives, the future of our community, the future of our planet depends on it depends on our willingness to live the image and likeness of God, to make the difficult choices that will ensure the renewal of our world. May God's grace and blessing and courage and wisdom be on us all. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope you've been encouraged. If you are interested in being part of our worship experience during this time of physical separation, please join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday, Pacific Time, on our YouTube channel, Redlands First UMC. That's Redlands, F-I-R-S-T-U-M-C. Redlands, F-I-R-S-T-U-M-C.